Hello and welcome to the Weekend Booktopian, the podcast where a few booktopians get together every week to talk book news, share what we've been reading lately, and then face off in a deathly round of book trivia we like to call Book Fight. I'm Olivia Frico, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog, and I'm delighted to be your host this week. Joining me today is Joe Lewin, Head of Trade Product. Hi, Joe. Hi, Olivia. Uh, oh, Sarah. Loud. <laughs> <laughs> We're not used to being back in the studio no. still. <laughs> I'm also joined today by Sarah McDooling, our Kids and YA Category Manager. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And finally, joining me also is Shanu Prasad, our Lifestyle Books Category Manager. Hi. Hello. So let's get into it, shall we? Um, so starting off with book news, the biggest news item of the week by far is the announcement of the Stella Prize longlist on Thursday evening. Uh, but it's currently Thursday lunchtime as we're recording this and we don't yet know which books have been longlisted. We can't not discuss the biggest news event of the week so we're going to cross now to a segment about the Stella longlist that we've recorded remotely. Over uh, to you future, future selves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is crazy because I have a book that I'm going to talk about which is all about time travel and I feel like we've just done some time travel now. <gasps> Spicy. Nick, please uh, edit in some time-travel music. It's even crazier because the book I'm reading, you time travel to the future, which is basically what Stop we're it. doing Tomorrow. to make this oh, happen. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <gasps> Keep in mind that the sound quality is going to take a little bit of a dip, uh, so please bear with us for the next little while. But that's okay because it'll be the same sound quality you've been experiencing all year. <laughs> From yeah, everyone exactly. in lockdown, so you'll just be something just reminisce about and the familiar. reminisce about the good times. So the 2021 Stella Prize longlist was announced last night. Um, it's a really interesting mix of twelve fiction, non-fiction, and young adult books. Um, and there's a few Booktopia favourites on there, a few that had flown under our radar and a few that we expected to be there. So let's dive right into it, shall we? So the 12 books on the long list are Fathoms, The World in the Whale by Rebecca Geeks, uh, Revenge, Murder in Three Parts by S.L. Lim, The Animals in That Country by Laura Jean McKay, Witness by Louise Milligan, Metalfish Falling Snow by Kath Moore, The Wandering by Intern Paramedita, Stone Sky Gold Mountain by Mirandi Ruo, Blueberries by Elena Savage, Song of the Crocodile by Nadi Simpson, Smart Ovens for Lonely People by Elizabeth Tan, A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing by Jesse Tu, and The Bass Rock by Evie Wilde. So um, I haven't read many of the books on this list. I've read A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing, um, and I had a proof of Metal Fish Falling Snow sitting in my inbox from text that I never got around to. Um, so what are our thoughts on this long list? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's an interesting one. There's, um, I mean, I think there's a couple of titles here that were expected, but there's a lot of, um, uh, there's a lot of things, as you say, Liv, that kind of fell, flew under our radar and, you know, surprising mm -hmm. to see some really commercial stuff on there, like, like Jesse too. Um, you know, it's, it's, reasonably unusual to see YA on the Stellar, I think. Well, I mean, last year, and forgive me if I'm, if it's actually 2019, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm struggling to remember which memories belong to, to 2019 and which fell down the well of 2020. But was it last year that Vicky Wakefield was nominated for? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not, at least that's one other YA I remember being nominated. And there may have been others going back what, what, what is it now, 10 years of Stella? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So that's the one that springs to mind because I was really hoping for a YA book to win. I just thought it would be really cool if uh, Vicky Wakefield won that year. Um, so I love, I, I have read Metal Fish Falling Snow and it would just, um, I love that this list includes YA and I love that um, it's there's a possibility that it might that it might win so that's it's the only one I've read so it's the only one I can like throw my hat in the ring for at the moment um it's a beautiful it's a beautiful book and uh it's it actually is such a beautiful book I think I want to reread it because you know it's been a while and like 
we were talking, I was trying to find my proof of it before, and you've just reminded me, Liv, that it was, I read it on ebook, and that's why I can't find the physical proof. <laughs> um, so, so I think, Olivia, that um, Nadi Simpson's Song of, Song of the Crocodile and uh, Laura Jean Mackay's, um, or Mackay's, the animals in that country uh, were both firm favourites from our team. I, I have not read Song of the Crocodile yet. I did read the animals in that country and I absolutely adored that book. Um, so, you know, they're, they're both, I guess, contenders that I think the, the team would have expected to see there. Um, yeah, the only other one that I have read um, is The Base Rock by Evie Wilde. And I was really surprised to see this pop up on the list. Um, oh. Evie's, um, Evie's All the Birds Singing won the Stella Prize, not the Stella Prize, the other one, the Miles Franklin. Um, quite a few years ago now, um, but the base rock kind of came out in the market with a little bit of a whimper. I read it, I enjoyed it, but then, you know, it didn't really get the, I guess, have the commercial success that I was expecting it to have. Mm. It's one that I really want to read. I've heard interesting things. Mm. Um, I will say I was surprised not to see The Last Migration by Charlotte McConaughey on there. Absolutely. I, 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 I um, messaged my indignant reaction to this in the group chat last night. I was like, this is a crime. That, yeah. I that, was spectacular. That, that was definitely one of my mm. actual top picks of what I read. Definitely early pandemic reads. Um, so I read that. And I also read um, Animals, The Animals in That Country and Song of the Crocodile. So they're the, they're the only two that I've read as well. And yeah. um, the, to me, those three books stood out out of like a lot of books that I read last year as just all having um, something really beautiful and unique to say and just written in the most interesting and different, like completely different ways. Um, so what I love though about something like the Stella Prize is that it does give us the opportunity to like four books that we either missed or that we um, just sort of like, oh, I'd love to read that, but you know, our TBR pile is so big. Um, and so I, I'm really looking forward to actually, I read a bit about Elizabeth Tan's Smart Ovens lonely people. I agree with you. Yeah. Amazing. How did I miss that? And you know who I'm going to blame for that? A fiction category manager, Ben, because the way I get (laughs) my literary fiction is usually seeing what he's requested and going, oh, that looks good and taking it off his desk. So now this one, having gone through the whole long list, that was the one that caught my eye too. I was like, how am I not heard about this? And now, now I just really want to read it. It's short stories. And I guess I I think also the, um, the Marin, Marinda, Marinda Riwo. Oh yes, Marinda Riwo. Yeah, is a is a gold rush story about um, immigrants from China in the gold rush, and we all That's read right. and loved C. Pam Zhang's. Uh, the other gold. The gold in. Where is it? How much of these is gold? That I knew was gold. Gold. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, we all read and loved that. So how fantastic to have the opportunity to, to read a book about a similar experience in Australia's own gold rush, um, you know, including, it says in the in the blurb that um, it, cl- it includes um, uh, you know, Australian First Nations people as well as Chinese immigrants, as well as, you know, um, uh, European descended miners. Um, in that time. So I think that'll be a really interesting one. I think I'm looking forward to dipping into it. Yeah. Um, another interesting one I thought was Witness by Louise Milligan. Um, yeah. She's been in the news quite recently with regards to the case against George Pell. Um, she's done a lot of work on the Australian legal system. So that's, I feel like this is a natural um, follow-up to last year's winner, um, Jess Hill. With yeah, but I think, I think there is some other pretty amazing female narrative nonfiction that's happened in the last 12 months. Um, you know, phosphorescence, for example, being the obvious, um, you know, massive and very beautifully researched and written book by Julia Baird. So if, you know, if they're going to focus on, um, on narrative nonfiction, there were lots of other books they could have chosen. Not but, um, to take away from Louise's work, but um, I think there's yeah. just more of a focus on you know treatment of women in the legal system in terms of well, it was women and domestic violence last year. I think this one dives into more just um, sexual assault and child sexual abuse 
victims yeah. and how they're treated in the system as well. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about this book, and it's kind of oh, absolutely. Just a little bit. So yeah. Yeah, but there was, I think, a lot of other. Yeah, I, I was surprised there wasn't a bit more non-fiction considering yeah. how strong the field was. I think that's the thing, rather yeah. than like, oh, that should have gone in instead of this. But it's always yeah. hard, isn't it, when you've got a prize and you've only got... <laughs> so then once we get to the short list and we're like, how could they not have included yeah. those books that were on the long list on the short list? Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a, that's the fun of prizes, isn't it? Everyone gets to have an opinion. Yeah. And thankfully, yeah. we're just having to make the decision because that would be a really hard one to make. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I do not envy the judges for this year. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what makes it. Do Do you think there's anything that we that is a no brainer to be in there? In the, I don't, I don't want to say anything because I just don't. <laughs> I think as soon as you do that, that's a hundred percent just going to miss out. It'll be like cursing the book. Yeah, let's not yeah. Let's speculate. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to say I can see um, the Jesse to Lonely Girls a Dangerous Thing going a long way. People really loved that book. Um, certainly made a splash. Um, I also have a weird hunch about Blueberries by Eleanor Savage. Um, I don't know. Those would be my two picks to make it through, I think. Just wildly throwing it out into the ether. <laughs> um, and so the shortlist will be announced on the 25th of March and the winner on the 22nd of April. So stay tuned for more stellar prize goodness in the near future. All right, Nick, uh, insert futuristic music here. <laughs> Um, so our second news item this week is a little bit of a controversial one, but we think it's kind of an interesting topic and an interesting approach by the people involved. So that would uh, involve the Dr. Seuss, uh, not to bark, the Dr. Seuss situation. Um, so Dr. Seuss Enterprises, um, which is the business that preserves and protects the author's legacy, have announced that they will be removing six Dr. Seuss books from publication. Uh, because they contain racist and insensitive imagery and, according to the, um, the business, uh, portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. So, Sarah, you're our kids in YA category manager and Dr. Seuss falls in your wheelhouse. Yes. I, however, I'm not familiar with any of these titles that are being taken out. of. See, I didn't um, think I was and then I looked at the list and I'm like, oh, Miguel gets pool. I know that one. I don't know And that the scrambled one. eggs one. So, basically, the list is, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, if I Ran the Zoo, McElligot's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, or Zebra, uh, Scrambled Egg Super, which is one that also another one that I know, and The Cat's Quizzer. So yeah. Um, they're not his most popular ones. No. And Mulberry from, Street's a pretty classic one. That's, okay. what I, that's yeah. what I've heard. In conversation yeah. with people, that seems to be the one that most people know. That's right. And look, I, um, I have a kid. And when uh, when my kid was younger, we certainly read some of those titles. And, and I agree with the estate, quite frankly. There were ways, just the way that different nationalities of people were drawn um, mm. is not the way they would be drawn now. You know, you wouldn't draw people from uh, of Asian descent or of African descent in those stereotypical ways anymore. Um, I actually think it's a, it's a lovely thing that the uh, Dr. Zeus estate has... Um, owned this moment and yeah. said, you know, while he was a, a man of his time and was and was drawing for the sensibilities of the time, those those images aren't appropriate anymore. I know that there are titles where um, I had to pretend the pages were stuck together and flip <laughs> over them so I didn't have to, um, you know, show those images to my kid because I liked wow. the story but I knew that um, mm. some of those depic depictions were not at all what I wanted to represent now. So... Um, yeah, I think good on them. Yeah, same. I think it's good that they want to uh, kind of preserve what is valuable about Dr. Seuss. And, you know, we live in a time with the internet. Those images are never going to disappear for historians or people who want to, mm. you know, study representations of race over time. Mm. So they won't be in children's books, though, and I think we that's can right. all agree that that's yeah. good. Yes, and, and I think there's been a there's been a – Quite a lot of people come out and say, oh, but there's so many other kids' books out there these days that you can direct your kids towards, you know, Dr. Zeus is not relevant. But to me, it's more about like the the idea of reading a book to your kid that you were read as a kid yeah. is really lovely. I think that's mm. really nice to keep a, a combination of classic 
kids' books and contemporary. I agree. And I think that, you know, a lot of things don't stand the test of time and these ones don't. But the ones that do, you know, like uh, how many copies of All the Places You'll Go do we sell a year and... Mm. I mean, I, I feel nervous saying this without having recently flipped through the pages, <laughs> but I don't believe there's anything in there yeah. that we yeah. object to. And it's also worth noting that this isn't just a snap decision they made. There wasn't, you know, any big online outcry saying mm. cancel these books right now. So it's not really cancel culture in action. It's it, like I understand that it's a decision that's been made after months and months of discussion where they've mm. gathered feedback from readers, teachers, academics and like other experts. So they've done... A lot of reflecting on this and I know I think it's a good move yep. I, yeah I yeah that they're doing it now without being asked to or called mm. to yeah it's a really good sign and I think there there have been other examples of uh, authors who have actually gone back into their own work and removed stuff from publication I think the creator of Tintin did that oh I, I was reading online uh, we'll have to double check that but you know it's just we're moving with the times and it's good to see authors and author estates being aware of that kind of thing. Yeah, I agree, particularly around children's fiction because I know mm. that there's a, a larger conversation to be had about adult fiction and classics mm. and, you know, reading them through a historical framework and not erasing the past because it no longer is in line with today's values. But it's a children's book yeah, yeah. and none of that applies to a kid's Absolutely. book. Absolutely. Yeah. I think an adult can read. Yeah, as we talked about last time I was on Mm. on the podcast, an adult can go back and read Dickens and go, well, you know, you wouldn't write Fagin Mm. like that these days. But a child isn't equipped to to read that way. Not Mm. in the hop on pop uh, age group. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thanks, guys. Uh, Great discussion there. I think it's time to move on to talk about what we've been reading. Um, And I can see that a couple of us have excellent piles next to them. So... (laughs) Uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Joe. What have you been reading and loving? Uh, so last night I finished uh, Before You Knew My Name by Jacqueline Bublitz. Um, this one comes out in May. Uh, this is really a fantastic, fascinating book and it's a debut book by a brand new author. So um, really exciting to read this new voice. Um I guess you could describe it as an anti-mystery. It's really – the premise is that uh, the main character, Alice Lee, um, has been murdered by a man. It's a very common story. Uh, But in most mystery novels, the focus is on the man who did the murdering, finding out who the man is, why he did it, um, how he did it, how they're going to catch him. Uh, This novel actually focuses on – the woman who's been murdered, it's told from her point of view. She is a ghost. Um, it sounds a little bit far-fetched, but it doesn't uh, – it, it's not written that way. Like the lovely bones. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, written, it's written in quite a matter-of-fact way. Um, and it's all about her experience and how she came to this point in her life where, you know, she put herself in that position that we as women are not supposed to put ourselves, you know, we're supposed to be protective of ourselves. We're not supposed to do stupid things and walk through parks in the dark by ourselves. She does this, she gets murdered and the book is actually about her. It talks very little about the perpetrator um, and really focuses on, on her life. Um, so in that way, it's it's really, it's more than just a mystery novel. It really captures this moment of women going hang on a minute why are we always focused on the um on the man in these stories why aren't we hearing about um who the woman was and uh, what was her name so a really 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 interesting read recommended i really want to read that one yeah 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 i think i have that sitting on my desk actually yeah i, I recommend you dip in don't get uh, put off by the written from the point of view of a ghost uh, because... Um, if anything, it's a draw card for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I should, I should mention actually that uh, while it is written from the point of view of the ghost, it also follows the woman who finds the body. Oh. And, you know, how she comes to find the body and what's been happening in her life that leads her up to this point. And the, the woman who finds the body is an Australian who is... Um, in New York and um, 
the person who is murdered is a woman who has come to New York from Midwest America and how their paths intersected in this tragic way. Oh, i got to yeah. read this. Yeah, everybody should read it. It's a fantastic book. Well, thank you, Joe. That that actually really does sound fantastic. <laughs> I know I say that every time. But, um, everyone is just always able to speak about these books so well. Um, I read another very, very strange book uh, by Melissa Broder. It's called Milkfed. Um, it's a really weird book. I don't know if I should recommend this book to anyone. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm intrigued. Well, not anyone, just not everyone, right? Not every. It's certainly <laughs> not for everyone. So the, the book really, it starts out with a woman who um, is completely food obsessed. So she's obsessed with her weight, with her appearance, and also just with counting calories and weighing herself and completely transfixed. She's... Um, come from a background where it was a, a major focus for her her mother how she looked and and being thin uh so the whole first section of the book is completely taken up with what she eats and how many calories are in every bit of food that goes into her mouth um and through the book she meets people she has some experiences she opens herself to some new experiences that help her to um view food in different ways, but also view her relationships, view her love life, view her sex life in different ways. Um, There is a lot of sex. It is extremely graphic. So warning, (laughs) (laughs) if you don't like extended passages of uh, calorie counting and graphic sex sex scenes, do not read this book. Um, but, you know, for the few people like myself that find that strangely fascinating, go for it. I, I don't think you'll be dis- disappointed. I must say that I, I find it hard to believe that I went back to read a second book by this woman because her, uh, her first novel, The Pisces, which was about a woman who uh, has sex with um, a merman a whole lot. I remember, was, I remember yeah. your reaction yeah. to oh that Oh, my book. God, that was such a disgusting book. There were so many barnacles involved in those sex scenes. What? That and in, that was yeah. pre that movie. That it was, pre, it was about movie. the same time as The Shape of Water. Right. Uh, but it wasn't beautiful. It was gross. Um, but somehow it stuck in my mind, uh, this book, and I went back for more. Uh, it's the power of good writing. I don't know. Stuck on the, the barnacle of, thing. Yeah, I think the barnacle's really stuck in my head. That's like being sexually keelhauled. Yeah, and <laughs> and I think like the, there's a there's a there's a passage where like he can't walk right because he's a mm. merman. So she has to like hoik him into a wheelbarrow <laughs> to get him back to her house to Sexy. have her way with him. Also, there's a dog that. She kills, which is a no-no. You never kill the dog, right? You never kill the dog in a book. She kills the dog. This woman is not – this Melissa Broder is not afraid of what you think. (laughs) She says, I'm going to write about calorie counting and barnacle sex and killing dogs and, you know, you just take me as I am. Wow. You've got to love that. that. Yeah, Yeah, props. (laughs) Um, And then from the sublime to the ridiculous to the – Neither of those things. Um, <laughs> Lucy, how did we dis- decide that we pronounced her name? Yago. Yago, Lucy Yago, a net for small fishes, um, was really gorgeous. Um, yeah, I read that recently. Yeah, I found it to be kind of ye oldie gossip girl in a way, um, you know, like Hilary Mantel era of um, history, but a lot more pacey and exciting and intriguing um less literary and historical but loads and loads and loads of fun yeah definitely i think sarah would like this book have you read yeah. it i haven't no oh, no but you i must i actually am intrigued by all three of those choices yeah <laughs> like i'm a bit scared of the middle one <laughs> yeah. oh you should be afraid you should be afraid you cannot read it when you're in a um uh um a tender state you know oh. you need to be fortified emotionally mm. fortified to dip in or drunk or drunk is what you're saying <laughs> really I don't, I don't even mean that I just mean you can't be like in a sensitive place yeah yeah in your fair. in yourself or mm. it could lead to I don't know what yeah it sounds like a impactful book it was mm-hmm. impactful yeah. yeah 
Um, Hannah rev- reviewed it for us. We got a review of it on the blog. Excellent. <laughs> so, yeah. All I can say is that you will never look at frozen yogurt the same way again. Wow. Now, okay. <laughs> mic drop. I meant to be the person you rendered me speechless. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on? If, if, sure. Is, those all the books you have for us, Joe? <laughs> for now, yeah. Okay, Sarah. All right, well, I'm going to, as kids category manager, talk about two kids' books. So it's a bit of a swing um, to a different area of publishing. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk about is so wonderful. Um, and it is The Edge of Thirteen by Nova Wheatman, who has written so many books. And I, I found out recently written for TV. And I didn't. I, I mainly came to know of her from Sick when Sick Bay was published. And Sick Bay does seem to have kicked her up into a lot more people's radars. Um, and now this follow up book since Sick Bay is called The Edge of Thirteen, which is. Oh, it's so it's it's wonderful. It's like I imagine this is what people would have felt like when Judy Bloom was first published, oh. um, and what it would have been like for that book to be published at the time. Because this book is, I guess, a Judy Bloom for now style book, but it's so of now, um, mm. and it's it's wonderful. It's a, a the main character is like coming up to 14 and so in year eight and she comes back from summer holidays and her friends have all like developed and have you know started their periods and are getting interested in boys and she is not there um and so she's very self-conscious about being flat-chested and not having a period and not really being interested in boys um and they all go off to summer camp (laughs) and so uh there's some amazingly, excruciatingly embarrassing stuff that happens that really, like, gave me some intense flashbacks <laughs> to that oh. time where we've all got embarrassing memories from that time. Yeah, year we eight do. was not a good time. No, it's very and, awkward, uh, awkward time. Yeah, and Nova Wheatman is amazing at capturing, like, exactly your mind. You're so prickly at that age because you're on high alert for embarrassment at all the time. And so, you know, the more embarrassed... Uh, the main character's name is Clem. So the more the more embarrassed and like defensive she gets, the more prickly she gets, and the more she pushes her friends away. And it's just this like, you know. And at the same time, she's making new friends that are a bit different from her friends that she's grown up with. And then there's tension there because the old friends are like, oh, you don't like us anymore. You only like this new friend who's all super cool. And it's just, uh, it's just pitch perfect. Plus, I thought it was very much of now in the way that. Um, in the way it dealt with social media, because this character is 13, all of her friends have smartphones and are Instagram accounts, and she has not been allowed to have that. And her parents have set a really strict rule that there's no Instagram until 14. And um, I guess because you, I read a lot of middle grade um, through work, and I'm sort of used to, there's always some tension with the parents, and it seems dreadfully unfair, and these books are written for the children, not the parents. So, like, uh, usually the, the resolution is they break the rules and then they learn their lesson, that kind of thing. But this one was interesting because, and, like, spoiler alert, I guess, if, <laughs> if you don't want to know a, a plot point in this book. Um, I feel like it'll be a lot of parents listening. I feel like most yeah. like, people listening want to know what's in yeah. this book. Yeah, so I liked the – I thought it was a refreshing way that the conversation was had between the mother and – Clem and her mother about Instagram because, of course, she gets her phone and the condition of the new phone is you still can't have Instagram until you're 14. And she's like, yes, okay, mum. And then literally the first thing she does (laughs) is set up (laughs) Instagram uh, with her friends that have a secret account with her. And the conversations that come from it, you know, when when eventually she's found out – were interesting and nuanced because it was an exchange of ideas across generations. Like the mother was like, obviously you can't, you shouldn't have done that. Like I laid down the law and you broke the law. And uh, the Clem's response is to just explain to her the ways in which children now communicate through hmm. Instagram and other social media platforms and how she's surrounded by people who are communicating this way and building friendships this way and being barred from it is affecting her ability to make friends Mm. um 
and to communicate with her friends. And so that was, I don't know, that was interesting. And I just loved it. I thought it was beautiful. And um, I highly, highly recommend it. At the time of recording, we have some signed copies. So <laughs> they're going fast, though. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned she's like the Australian, the modern-day Judy Bloom, because um, I feel like I always do, like, blog um, blog promos, but, like, we do have a Q&A with Nova on the blog at the moment, and she mentioned Judy Bloom as being one Did of her she? biggest influences. Yeah. yeah. You it's, can it, see it. It sounds mm. like a modern-day um, Are You There God? It's me, Margaret. Very much Which so. Which is definitely something that flashes back to me because my mum read that with me so wow. embarrassing <laughs> when <laughs> I was uh, younger than the characters were in the book. So it's mm. probably a book that's actually uh, maybe a good book for parents to read with their younger kids that aren't yet 13. Yeah, come yeah. a little bit before that yeah. age would be really good. And I feel like there's characters, regardless of um, – there's beautiful, like, representation in the book as well. Pa- another part of the story is that Clem kind of gets convinced by her friends that maybe she should be – there's a boy at school that she's getting friends with and you know in that way that girls at that age do they're like he likes you he likes you he likes Mm. you and she's like I don't know well I don't he's my friend but I guess if you want him to like me yeah (laughs) she's not there like she's just not there yet but she feels like she kind of has to pursue this obvious crush that her friends have pointed out that he has but he's gay and so when she makes a move it's like excruciatingly embarrassing for her (laughs) when he explains why he, he wants to just be friends, right? And um, there's also, like, you know, the characters who are developing and stuff, in Clem's mind, they've got all of this, they've got it sorted out and they're on another level and stuff. But then as the book progresses, you understand that everyone's just eating their hearts out at this age. Like, yeah. they just yeah. don't. Everyone's struggling. It's awkward and embarrassing for everyone. And um, it's a beautiful book and I definitely... Highly, highly recommend it. Um, the other kids' book I will talk about is Law by Alexandra Brecken. Um, yes. I wouldn't even no call stranger it a kids to book. this podcast. I mean, it's YA, YA now from and from totally, middle grade and a YA that that adults could be totally comfortable reading without it feeling like they're reading a real. YA yeah, I think book. so. I think it has yeah. some crossover, like um, like a Garth Nix fantasy, which yes. is published as YA but um, for, suitable for yeah. older readers, I guess. Um, yeah, it's not a YA novel where everyone's at school. It's a YA yeah. novel where everyone's hunting gods yeah. in New York. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's epic and amazing. And I was a bit um, late reading it. I think, Shana, you read it well before me and had told me that it was good. And I knew that it would be good. But then I read it and I was like, oh, this is very good. So good that I like live in daily expectation of the announcement of the TV adaptation because it's just ripe for it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a standalone, which is increasingly rare in YA. So um, if you just wanted to pick up like a fast-paced, action-packed genre book. A real book, chunky standalone. So yeah, it's like yeah. 500 pages. Yeah. Um, and know that when you read it, there's no cliffhanger and the story resolves really well, like very satisfyingly. Um, and if you like Greek mythology, <laughs> um, I highly recommend this one. The author described it as what if Percy Jackson's older sister was in The Hunger Games. And I think that's fairly accurate. Um, There's a big epic competition, uh, the goal of which is to kill gods and assume the gods' power. And Ancient family bloodlines. Yeah, ancient family bloodlines has been going on every seven years since ancient Greek times. And uh, there's very few original gods left. They've all been kind of replaced by new gods, being just members of these... Yeah, humans who took the power. And so there's a big old gods versus new gods battle, but there's also gods versus everyone else battle. And the main character is out of the game. She's like, I'm done. I don't want to be part of this. But of course, as anyone who's ever said I'm out, (laughs) just when you think they're out, they drag you back in. And she's a very, very great character, very fierce, very strong. There's a beautiful shining thread of feminist rage in this book, which is very cathartic (laughs) because if you're going to be taking on like uh, patriarchal societies that were unkind to women. Greek mythology. Zeus <laughs> <laughs> had it coming. Yeah, yeah. If I see him, it's like a punch <laughs> to the face on sight. He, he's, he doesn't make an appearance. He's uh, talked about, but he's not, talked about. Uh, yeah, but he himself is not one of the gods in this game. Um, yeah. It's no fun. It's all his. Yeah, oh, no, no, it's still it's fun. His, Don't worry, you'll still have plenty. It's his of plenty rebel of fun. children. 
I think this is like the second or third time I've heard about this book on this exact kind of podcast. So now I I really need to read it. Lots of people have read it. I I basically just kept giving copy my copy to other people. Uh, And and I can't read this. You'll like it. I can't actually stop talking about it since I read it. So. Uh, that was a great one and I recommend that and it kind of allows me to segue really well into the third book that I'm going to talk about which is actually not a kids book and which I actually haven't finished but I just started Ariadne by um, Jennifer Saint and I'm hooked and I don't know if it's because I just want more Greek mythology in my life (laughs) after law or if it's that I love similar books like Circe uh, so much that um, I was always going to probably love this book, but I'm, I'm super into it so far. It has a cracking, really good beginning. Um, there's like a little, I guess, set-up-y, prologue thing where the Ariadne is telling a story about her father, who's King Minos, and it really sets the tone for the whole book. Like, you get to that the end of that first little chapter and it's like, right, so this is who her dad is and this is how he treats women (laughs) and I wonder how this is going to play out and uh, I've purposefully avoided brushing up on the Minotaur myth because all I remember of it is that the Minotaur is in a labyrinth and that there's a thread Mm -hmm. and that Ariadne helps and I can't remember if it's Theseus or Perseus um, get through to kill the Minotaur. I don't remember what happens to her. And I'm purposefully not looking it up. Mm. I suspect, given it's Greek, <laughs> Greek mythology, mythology, she does not meet a happy end. And I'm hoping perhaps that this is the kind of retelling that challenges that and, you know, gives the character a different ending. But who knows? I'm not at the end yet, but I'm really enjoying it. That sounds and awesome. recommend it. Yeah, yeah, that's on my TBR for sure. I was going to pick that up on the weekend, actually. Oh, we can all talk about it next week. <gasps> yeah, I have so many books at the moment. <laughs> I kind of go through this time where I'm like, Oh, I don't have enough books to read. I better I ration know. out the ones. And then I go, oh, now I have 27 books that yeah. I need to get through. <laughs> I think it's at this time of year, though, because the that's correct. When, when you're in this industry, you get a bunch of proofs um, that come for all of the books that are coming. September, October is a massive time. And then tumbleweeds. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, towards the end of January, they're like, oh, did you know that we still publish books after <laughs> Christmas? <laughs> And then it's like a tidal wave. (laughs) It's such a good time to find like the next big thing though. I feel like a couple of humongous bestsellers have come out of that quiet tumbleweed period. Absolutely. Because I think that's where um, wisely the the publishers drop their um, speculative choices in, you know, like their, their debut authors or that author that they haven't quite broken out to be like a mainstream bestseller. Because they don't want to put those people up against Jane Harper, Leanne Moriarty, you know, all of those big, mm. big names. So it's it's a really, it's a it's a really rich, time. yeah. So if there are any um, soon to be debut authors listening, don't take uh, take heart if you have been pushed to that January February period. Because I think it's actually a good thing. It is yeah. a good thing. It gives you space to to take some limelight for a while. Yeah. All right, Sarah, is that all your books? That's it. Yep, I'm done. <laughs> I'm always paranoid about like moving on before someone's like, wait, I've got five more books I want to talk about. <laughs> well, you're just lucky that I only brought three today because <laughs> I just was going through all the books that I read last month and I read quite a lot and I really loved most of them and I could talk about all of them. But I can see from a lot of the books that I've picked that other people have also read them and will probably talk about them on this podcast. So I'm going to pick three which I don't think anyone has talked about yet and... Um, one of which might be talked about in the future, but I'm going to put my spin on first. Please so go for it, Shani. The first one was um, the first one I read last weekend was um, "Land of Big Numbers" by T. Ping Chen, who is a um, uh, Chinese American um, journalist, and um, she is a Wall Street Journal journalist based in Philadelphia. But for four years, she was the Beijing-based correspondent. Um, so covering politics, society and human rights. And before that, she was in Hong Kong, um, so covering politics and pro-democracy movement. Um, and before that, she spent a year in China interviewing sort of migrant workers as part of a Fulbright Fellowship. Um, and she worked in China for a reporter for the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists in DC. So from that, you would think, oh, this is going to be a very wor- you know, worthy, serious, very you know, literary kind mm. of 
big novel. No, it is so joyous and really interesting. And I mean, there are some, you know, sadder stories in here, but um, it's actually a book of short stories that either all take place in modern China or in America featuring Chinese characters um, that have either left China or are American, but with Chinese Chinese background. And they were all, they were all the stories were, I love them all. They were all different from each other. There's some of the, main, the characters uh, from a point of view of a man, some from a woman. Um, as I said, they're all so different and they, you know, what do they all do though is they all sort of interrogate the idea of modern China and this modern China up against this old China. And, um, you know, there's come some characters in here which are young and some characters are which are old, some which are, you know, for the Communist Party. Um, and, a, you know, one, one, one guy, he, he, all he wants to do his whole life, he's an old man, is just join the, join the Communist Party and be a representative for his area. And he just keeps getting knocked back no matter what he does. Um, whereas the first story is the story of twins, one um, who is um, the, the man telling the story and his sister who becomes um, a, um, a dissident and keeps getting arrested and thrown into, thrown into jail. So the, the stories sort of cover, cover like all, all spectrums um, all uh, genders and um, so sometimes even like heads into a little bit of magical realism. So it's not, um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really, I didn't know what to expect. Um, thanks to Ben for um, requesting it from, <laughs> from the publisher. Um, I just picked it up and I read the first sentence. I was like, oh, okay. And then I saw Ben left it on his desk on Friday. I went, well, he won't be back before Monday. <laughs> so as long as I take it and read it and return it, I left a little post-it note because I knew he'd be in before me to say, I'm returning the book. <laughs> um, and it's really, it's not very long. It didn't take a long time to read. Um, I actually read all the stories together, but you could very easily just read a couple of short stories and, and move on and then come back to it. Um, but I certainly would um, 100... 147% recommend. I don't know why I've come up with that number. 147? Yeah. This is the land of big numbers. 147 yeah. is yeah. big. Um, it was just so so well written and um, so interesting. And you just don't... I mean, I this year I've started reading a lot more books from uh, other you know people other than America or Australia. So I've read like a lot of Japanese fiction. But this is the first time I'd read... I mean, she is, she is American, but um, read sort of, you know, so some of these stories here, I couldn't tell if some of these things were actually true types of things that could have happened or it was going to that kind of little bit of that fantasy and of these things haven't happened yet because mm. some of the stuff that happens in China of like, you know, compulsorily acquiring places, knocking things, knocking everyone down, moving them all like so far away were things that really happened but other things felt a little bit more like I needed to Google to find out <laughs> if they were real or not. Awesome. Yeah, so after I, I finished reading that book, I thought, well, <clears throat> this book, this next book, um, it's, quite, it's quite short as well. It's not short stories, it's one novel. But I was like, yeah, I can get through that pretty quickly. That's, that seems fine. Um, it's called Temporary by Hilary Leichter. It's one of the strangest novels I've read um, this year. Um, the sort of the cover basically says 18 boyfriends, 23 jobs, an employment agency like no other. Welcome to the world of the temporary. Oh. And it's such an intriguing uh, premise. It's basically the main character is someone called a temporary and this world, people are temporaries, which means they just fill in. They don't have for jobs. They don't have a permanent job, um, which, you know, we have lots of people that have in the casual workforce, but this is not a book set in reality. <laughs> um, <laughs> some, some of the jobs that she takes is, you know, she's, you know, she fills in as a window, window washer. She fills in as, you know, like receptionist. She fills in as the CEO of a company <laughs> and she fills in as a mannequin in a department store <laughs> when the mannequin needs to take a break. Um, she also fills in as um, a pirate on a pirate ship. Um, she works for a um, – she fills in for a sidekick for a murderer. <laughs> and it sounds like if you um, got a child to describe what a temp does <laughs> – how do you even qualify to become a temporary? I want to be one. No, you don't. You don't. Because oh. the whole book is – I know it sounds – That sounds really fun. It, it, and the book is very fun to read. But um, basically the, all the temporaries want is to become permanent. Mm. They All they want is a place to belong. And, you know, and a lot of the book is she, she actually meets up – oh, that's right. One of the things she was was a ghost. She was filling in for oh. a ghost. She didn't know. But she gets sent off when she's like, you come from a family of temporaries. You are born a temporary. It's uh -huh. not a choice. You just that's what you are. And if you become permanent, that's just luck. 
and it's kind of like finding love you know it's mm. like oh when you stop looking for it that's when you'll find it you know this sense of permanence um and so also the 18 boyfriends they're not like she has 18 boyfriends at different times they're just all at the same time and they fulfill a different like she's got the tallest boyfriend and the the um the sympathetic boyfriend and the um you know the one that the artistic boyfriend and I can they just that. You know, great. yeah <laughs> except when she goes on a when she goes on to fill in for the pirate on this pirate ship and she's away for quite a long time the boyfriends all start hanging out together oh, oh yes. no, no, no. and they no, and then they they all become best friends and then no, it goes, no, no, yeah no. <laughs> so the boyfriends unionize <laughs> And then um, I really would like, I mean, um, a- Amy, who works with us, has read this as well. Uh, we both read it on around the same time. And um, both of us don't understand the ending, though. Right. So, um, like, we, we kind of got the references to work and all this kind of stuff all the way through. We, under- we you know, we're like, oh, yeah, look how smart we are. We're understanding what the author's saying. Then we got to the end and we're like, I don't understand what <laughs> metaphor that's trying to tell you about. So if someone, anyone else reads this book, could someone and understands it, I would really like someone to make a comment and mm-hmm. like explain it to me because yes. I tried to find <laughs> reviews call. that would Our explain it to me. Our operators are waiting for your call. I couldn't find Post any. note. Post I'm note. Really they are not. Obviously after the podcast to avoid deletion spoilers yeah. to tell me what the ending is. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it won't, the problem is, is that if I tell you the ending, it doesn't really make any sense. You kind of have to mm. read the whole book. It was just but it's quite short, so that's okay. Oh, it's really short. It's like um, 180, 180 pages, um, and it's not tiny writing. Um, Hilary Lecter, like cool. one of those two pronunciations will be correct. Apologies if you're listening, Hilary. Yes, but I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. I laughed out loud at some bits. They were just <laughs> so absurd, but, and it was like, but in such a really, really clever way, and. Um, there is some sadness, as I said. It's not just like a humorous book. There is definitely sadness coming through mm. in the characters' like search for this. But some of the things are so spot on to what modern work life is like that it's just quite spooky. Um, very quickly, the the last book I read was um, Ch- Eden, uh, who works with Sarah, um, gave this book to me and said, "Can you please read this so we can talk about it?" <laughs> <laughs> She and did ask me if the I best wanted to read it, but I wasn't ready. Yeah. <laughs> and so I go, I was like, yeah, sure, sure, I'll read that. No worries. That's, I'm a pretty fast reader. I, I can read that pretty quickly, which I could, except that um, I started reading it during the week. I don't usually read during the week because I get home very late and too tired. Um, so what happened is I got most, like, three quarters of the way through the book, kind of all through this week, and then this morning I randomly woke up at, I don't know what time because I didn't check the – uh, but it was dark and I was like I've got to finish this book I need to know what happens at the end of this book so I think I was up for about two hours this morning until the garbage truck came at 5 a.m uh, reading a strong this book. Recommendation. Oh my then I went back to sleep yeah um, and had some very strange dreams so the book is called <laughs> after all that building <laughs> Waking Romeo by Catherine Barker um I'm, I'm literally just going to say uh what the back of the book says it's called year 2083 location London mission Wake Romeo. So basically the premise of the book is that time travel is possible. You can only time travel forward. So once you've gone forward in in time, you can never come back. So what's happened is that sometime, we don't kind of know when, but sometime kind of probably around our time, like now, um, this time travel thing happened and pods became super affordable. So um, pods were what they used to time travel. So everyone could get it. And everyone's like, I don't like the world. The world is not going very well. I'm sure the future's got to be better, right? So oh. everyone Who are travels. these optimistic people? <laughs> so everyone, everyone leaves. And all, with all the people leaving, it means there's no one to look after the world as it is at the time. So what actually happens is the world starts decaying because there's no one around to look after the world. And as these people try and time travel, there's so many people time travelling that they all kind of just travel onto each other and then they all just die <laughs> and get mangled up in the pods. So it's, it's quite oh gross. God. Oh, my God. But then... Um, that's not really the main point of the story, though. That's just one part of the story. The main part of the story is that the main character is Juliet, as in Romeo and Juliet. So it's a Romeo and Juliet retelling as in, in time from travel. the olden times? No, no, she's not from the olden times. She's from the future. Because basically what has happened is that Juliet has written Romeo and Juliet in the style of a play that Shakespeare would write. So Shakespeare never wrote Romeo and Juliet. She wrote Romeo and Juliet. Wow. And, <laughs> yeah, I know Sarah's mind is, whoo. <laughs> <laughs> Can I ask, is the 
Shakespeare unwriting it, is that connected to the time travel or is this just a world in which there was no Shakespeare? No, no, Shakespeare exists. That's how she knows that she can write like Shakespeare because what happens, this real story of Romeo and Juliet is a less romantic, more just tragic tale of like two people that met each other when they were teenagers mm. and mm. should never have been together. And Which it totally actually, is anyway. anyway yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she wrote it in a very romantic way. Like they met in a romantic way. They didn't meet when yeah. Romeo, for example, was off his head on drugs. and um you know and you know their their night together was beautiful and wonderful rather than the reality yeah and you know um and he he saw that she was thought she was dead and couldn't live with himself and so tried to kill himself as opposed to just overdosed accidentally right um so she had this romantic idea and romeo is a cad basically (laughs) a cad what a good word um but this time travel um yeah so basically the whole time is that she's so she's writing she's writing a uh, this story because Romeo hasn't actually died he's just in this coma um, and so a time tra- uh, a, someone comes to her and says we, I can wake Romeo and she's like what 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 and then it all happens and the person that tells her that he can wake Romeo is a person we like to call Heathcliff Ellis. What? What? <laughs> so not only does Romeo and Juliet is happen... Is Kate Bush in this novel as no. well? No. <laughs> Damn, Mr. Trick. But this is the real Heathcliff <laughs> that, that Emily Bronte based. Wait, so the real Juliet and the real Heathcliff are time-travelling? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. So I they still feel like that's a disastrous combination of people, though. <laughs> well, that's because what you read about Heathcliff, the real Heathcliff was, of course, not like that. That was a novel, Olivia, a novel. I'm confused. Are we talking life. in the world of the novel or in real life? So these <laughs> books were written about real people in the world of this book. Yes, correct. Okay. okay. And they were – and so basically the author is actually doing quite a lot in this one book. Yeah. <laughs> as you can tell. Um, and um, really um, examining why we think stories are the way they are and why – it's actually a very feminist telling of, of like things uh, of about stories and about you know because apparently I've never read Wuthering Heights I have to say oh, I've tried get out I know I haven't either don't worry I don't like depressing Olivia. books Olivia you know. everyone is so shocked when I say that I'm, like, I'm sorry I ending. I mean not for certain characters yeah, but no, like no. <laughs> no 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 it's not for me that's fine I read other classics and I liked other classics and I think that's fine can't read everything in the world um <laughs> and and so I understand there's a, a whole sort of section where – or not section, but like a whole sort of thing where people are like, um, you know, why is she so against femininity and it's like – or against like she – Emily Bronte writing it in a way that makes women look terrible. And so it's kind of re-examining what actually that is. So there's a mm. lot going on in this book. Um, but just the concept of being able to time travel only forwards is a very cool idea mm. about yeah, what that does to the world. And, and um, no one can go back? Well, I don't want to spoil it, but yes, there's a bunch of people that can go back okay. every time. It gets it, – it's a book, though, that if you try and work out whether you think that in the world of time travel this would be a thing that would actually be possible, you just you just would actually probably lose your own mind because I I couldn't work it out. You just have to go with it. You just have to go, right, mm. this is what this is this what is what this book is about and just yeah, go with it. Yeah, suspend disbelief. I'm really fixated relax. on this thing, though. Yeah. So can I just ask? <laughs> you go for it. And then can you keep going forward or is it a one-time trip? No, no, you can keep going forward. But the problem is that usually once you've gone forward, you've landed on someone or something and you're dead. So most travellers turn up somewhere and... Seems like a flaw in the design of this time travel machine. Well, it's not the machine. It's not the machine's fault. It's just that there's a lot of people in the world, and if you happen to like land, you can't. Two things can't exist in the same. Do you remember that book, Sarah, by Elan Mastaya? I cannot remember what it's called. It had a lemon on the cover, and it covered that concept. Yes, I'd be like, you can only time travel if you're wearing this special suit, and if you like, they have to calculate where exactly you're going to land. Yeah, what was the yeah. name of that book? Oh, something about day. I think it had day in the time. I can't yeah. remember. Anyway, we'll find so, it and put it in the description. Yeah. So this is this is it's. I have never read anything like this book. I can definitely tell you that. It sounds very and it's getting, original. It's mm. getting lots and lots of love on um, on Goodreads and other review sites. And um, I can imagine uh, I can imagine lots of discussions because Eden and I have already discussed it like every single day this week. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, yeah, uh, it's 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 super cool that it's like just different from anything else and it's got like you know Melina uh, Marchetta, Lily Wilkinson, um, like everyone. Because she's an Australian author isn't she? Yeah she's Australian even though it's set in London she is Australian Um, and so like every every kind of like big hitter in the YA scene 
yeah, if you has want, given. Those are two amazing people to have. Mm. Yeah. Give your book a good wrap. Yeah. Big props to this book. Yeah. And so I would recommend if you want something that's going to like really like make you think and think, could this even, what, I don't, uh, that's, Plus, that's for you. <laughs> and this is frivolous. It does have a beautiful cover. I was the just thinking that. The cover is amazing. <laughs> There's nothing frivolous about that. I think it's important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a very eye-catching Cover. Yeah, um, I would like keep talking about any anything now because I we really, really hate book fight. <laughs> but I understand. You guys are going to like these questions. I remember, think. this is Olivia book fight, <laughs> not Mark book fight. Uh, won't be as funny then. Um, in that, I will. I I enjoy I was like, Mark. I think book I think, I think Mark's making up these books. Yeah, yeah. Mark book fight is like. Let's learn some trivia about obscure science fiction that you've never heard of before. This Which, will be a regular book fight where I just don't know the answer to any questions. <laughs> I very much doubt that. I wrote these questions with you guys in mind. Oh, that even scares uh -uh. me. There's like one. But even still, it's just the quiz environment. When someone asks me a question in a quiz environment, mm. I have everything I've ever known falls out of my head. But I also become like really aggressively competitive. That's why I had to stop playing team sports. <laughs> So that brings us so to book So it's good fight. that you're quiz master as opposed to quiz E. Yeah, I guess you could say that. It's the one benefit of hosting and having to write these every two weeks. Okay, so for our listeners, it is indeed time for book fight. Um, the weekly book trivia quiz that will probably be the cause of an unforgivable betrayal somewhere down the line. What? <laughs> <laughs> I've threatened to not speak to Nick or Mark after one because they haven't given me a point when I deserved it. Oh, oh, wow. Right, whereas we're Okay, we like... approach this in very different ways. <laughs> oh. Maybe it's just I'm when fine I'm... as long as I win. <laughs> oh, look, I don't care if I lose, so if you want to win, that's totally fine. Right. It's just that Mark wants me to lose every time. I just oh. want to survive. <laughs> well, that's good. I okay, so unforgettable portrayals <laughs> for some, just mild humiliation for others. Either way, I'll be asking some tricky book questions and our unlucky contestants will have to battle it out to get the correct answer <laughs> in first. Uh, can I please have all your buzzwords? Joe. Oh. Barnacles. <laughs> Sorry. Yep, cool. Sarah? Uh, in honour of Nova Wheatman's book, mine will be 13. Cool. And Shani? Uh, let's just go with Romeo. Nice. Even though he's a side character, not a main character, let's just make that clear in that. And book. a cad. And a cad. <laughs> Yeah, I need to read this I'm book. tempted and to change my buzzer word to cad. Thirteen's <laughs> <laughs> a good one. All right. Question one. Which classic book series is Get a Clue, the upcoming bookish boyfriend's novel by Timothy, Tiffany Schmidt, based on? Thirteen. Yes, Sarah. Definitely Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Is there another one? I don't know. I read the blurb and it two. just looked like it was oh, Sherlock Holmes. Oh, no, there's Holmes. always two. Oh, I'm oh, I get the point. I wrote this <laughs> question for you. Yeah. You too. I know, but I haven't I read it yet. I'm saving it the, that book because I, there's only one a year and I don't want to oh. read it yet because I'm think so excited about it. Oh, I know it's Sherlock Holmes and we'll just go with that for now. And yeah, I only wrote down <laughs> one answer. <laughs> I'm a very lazy quiz master. <laughs> Please forgive me. All right, so question one goes to Sarah. Question two. Which book won the Stella Prize in 2015? 2015? Jeez. <laughs> Who did you write this, this question for? That's an, that's an eon ago. I can't remember last week. Okay, Can we have some clues? Um, Do a who am I? Oh. <laughs> On the spot. It's about artists. Oh, The Strays? Yes. By Emily Bitto? Technically, can I hear your buzzer word? <laughs> Just to make it barnacle. Oh, no. uh, I'm, I'm now yes. taking my headphones off and running out of the room. <laughs> How do we recover? I don't know. Question three. Uh, which of the following novels was not written by a Bronte sister? The Professor, Agnes Grey, Mary Barton, or Shirley? Thirteen. Yes? Mary Barton. You're correct. That was written by Elizabeth Gaskell. Well done. Right, question four. What is the name of Aussie social media star Christian Hull's alter ego? Oh, Barnacles, Barnacles. Yes, Joe. <laughs> it's Trish. It certainly is. It's just Trish. I just assumed there was a second name. No, it's just Trish. Just Trish. Yeah. Okay. It's just Trish on the cover. Like, share. Of his upcoming book. <laughs> I really <laughs> didn't. 
<laughs> realize I didn't clear that up. All right. <clears throat> Question five. This one might throw you all, but I just think it's kind of funny. <laughs> Which famous American playwright died from choking after inhaling the small plastic cap that comes on a nasal spray bottle? <laughs> I have no idea, but I really want to know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Do you want a hint? Yeah. Yes. So it's not Andrew Lloyd Webber, but cats. Oh. American playwright, Cat. I don't know who wrote the book oh, for Cats. Um, no. I have nothing. And also, I'm going to say someone that's still alive, so I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to say anything. Wait, do you mean Cat on a hot tin ring? I might. Oh. Ten, I see you. Can I hear your buzzer word just to make oh, it above th- board? 13, and I'll say with more confidence, Tennessee Williams. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, I thought you were saying that he wrote the music and someone else wrote the book for oh, cats. Because so that was based on uh, the book of practical cats. Something, something. I uh, had who's that no by? idea of that death. T.S. Eliot. Oh, that, that guy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah that he probably guy. died in some other way. <laughs> can, I hear the, Smothered by can I hear the death again? He, <laughs> he, he died. I'm sorry for laughing, Tennessee. I love you. Um, he died from choking after inhaling the small plastic cap that comes on like a nasal spray bottle. Whoa. Yeah, I didn't even know you, you could. What a way to Because you didn't realise yeah. you had to take the cap off before you used it? Or I, like... You know what? I don't know. <laughs> this is just according to the website factonate.com.au, so it may not be entirely accurate. But I also I, feel I like... Do, I, I, it does give me flashbacks to when uh, I had to comfort my child after they inhaled um, the helmet of space, the Spaceman Lego. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Trying, trying to get the helmet off with their teeth and breathed in. Sweetie. <laughs> oh, <Snow>. honey. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, Jarvis is still alive and well. <laughs> and we are ever so grateful. And now we all know an interesting piece of trivia. <laughs> <laughs> We're learning. All right, question six. Who am I? I'm Olivia. A- <laughs> Can she hear your buzzer, please? <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear sexy barnacles first. <laughs> no, I want to survive this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Who am I? I am a young and popular Australian cookbook writer from Melbourne with two cookbooks to my name. You know I don't actually know her name right, so that's I'm never going to be able to answer this question if you wrote this question for me. Oh. oh sexy, it's the thought that counts. Sexy Barnacles. <laughs> yes. Um, is it Julia Busutil Nishimura? No, it is not. <gasps> <laughs> Damn. All right. Um, a form can I go again? You cannot. I've only <laughs> one clue in. Ouch. <laughs> Turns out that was very clever of me without realising. Because <laughs> you totally thought it was going to be Julia. Uh, oh, man. So okay, now sorry. the game is on again. It could be anyone. <laughs> a former teacher, I used to host the Culinary Kids quiz show Kitchen Whiz and I'm now the culinary cons- correspondent for ABC News Breakfast and ABC Radio. I came seventh in the 2012 season Are you sure? of MasterChef Australia. What's the first cookbook? I don't know what her... I don't, I don't know who I'm I talking about. I don't all. know any of it's my. It's not. I don't think it's in print anymore. But oh, she's definitely written okay. two. I only know authors by their Instagram handles. So, <laughs> well, I'm known for my boldly coloured glasses. Yeah, that's fine. I know I, 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 uh, Romeo, but I can't tell you what her real name is. I can only tell you that I will accept the Instagram handle. It's Alice in Frames. Yes. Oh, um, Alice Zlavsky. Yes. Thank you. And. Um, yeah, too bad. I spend more time looking at their Instagram than I do the actual book in it at the moment. So That's one point for Shanu. All right, question seven. Connie Gustafsson was the name originally given to which famous literary character? A hint. She's from a novella published in 1958. She lives in New York. She has a cat. That's oh, oh. Sarah. Holly Golightly? You are correct. <laughs> I couldn't remember what my stupid name thing was. I picked the one. We all constructed by the cookbook. When you, when you pick a side <laughs> character as, the, as your name to say. God damn. All right. This one I'm quite confident that you will all have a good time with, okay? Right, question eight. Name three recent novels that are retellings of Greek myths. Oh, oh. Sexy Barnacles. Yes. Um, Circe. Mm-hmm. Ariadne. Yep. Law. Yeah, that's Except you can keep going if you law want. Law is not actually a retelling of Greek myths. If well, you it's got Greek myths about in it. <laughs> it's inspired by. <laughs> True. Percy Jackson and the something something. something. <laughs> <laughs> Lightning thief. I don't know. Strike. 
I think it passes, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, that's three points to Joe, which means that Joe has leapt in to win book fight. They let me win. <laughs> Thanks. Guys. I absolutely did not. You were all. No, I absolutely let Joe win. She is my boss. That's what we do. Yes. <laughs> and I survived the podcast. So I'm happy. So the final scores were Shanu was on one point, Sarah won four points, and Joe was on five. So oh, so it wasn't actually... Not a Sarah, was, yeah, Sarah not says a this every time because I think she likes to pretend to be the underdog. Yeah. But and usually... Then, like, no, no, no. Every time we're on together, I get either zero points or one point, and you always either do win or Okay, but win. listen so, to some uh, of the ones when we're not in the same podcast <laughs> and, and see me get zero points. Uh, well, maybe, maybe that's the trick. We should just always be in the same podcast. From now on, always. Yeah. I don't care if I lose, so it's fine. <laughs> Nick's the one you're going to have con- to convince there. <laughs> all right, so that's all we have time for this week. We've gone way over time, but that's fine. We know you'll forgive us. So thank you to Joe, Sarah and Shanu for joining me today on The Weekend Booktopian. And thank you to all of our wonderful listeners who tune in week after week. The Weekend Booktopian is produced by Nick Wasiliev, and you can find more episodes of this show as well as other fun podcasts on our SoundCloud and Apple Podcast channels. You can also find more fun bookish content on our blog, The Booktopian. Um, Thanks for listening and never stop reading. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget... You can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au.